All right. So we'll be starting this week with the Exodus, with the top of the new packet. Before we do, though, I'm going to read a, a, a section from Hebrews 11, starting in verse 22. That uh, is a New Testament passage, but it pertains heavily to what we will be working through today. So Hebrews 11:22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking forward to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. All right. So, Exodus. We are now in the narrative, narrative of Israel. We are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Joseph dies with specific instructions. And then a great deal of time passes. Okay? We're in Egypt now. This is where Israel is, which I showed you guys yesterday. Specifically mentioned the northern part of Egypt, the land of Goshen. Remember how Pharaoh threw open the doors? Okay? Joseph was second in command, you might say, in the land of Egypt. Certainly had the Pharaoh's ear. And Pharaoh was happy to welcome Joseph's family we journeyed from Canaan down to Egypt, the northern part of Egypt. And I got you guys a new map today. Zoomed in a little bit on the Sinai Peninsula in northern Egypt. So again, this is the Sinai Peninsula, northern Egypt, Canaan up here. So here we are. And it says in Genesis 46, 27, that Joseph, I'll turn to it here for you. You don't have to, but I will. All the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the household of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. So it's not an enormous number of people in the third generation of, of uh, Israel. It's not an enormous number of people that come and settle here in this land of Egypt. But we quickly see that God blesses them greatly when we see that Within 400 or so years, there are hundreds of thousands of Israelites now living in the land. A new Pharaoh ascends to power who is not sympathetic toward the Israelites. Well, it's not really surprising given that there's been hundreds of years that have passed 
But again, it's important, and, and I made a little note there in your notes. When we read through this, Pharaoh is not a name. It is a title. When you read Pharaoh, think emperor or Caesar, something like that. It's not a name. And we'll go through several Pharaohs during our narrative here. Pharaoh is actually a title. I think it means great house in Egyptian. But in any case, when you read Pharaoh, don't think of like one Pharaoh because we're going to go through a few of them here. So we have this large, now very large number of Israelites living in northern Egypt Pharaoh feels threatened by the growing number of Israelites within Egypt. So he instructs the Egyptians to basically disadvantage and mistreat the Israelites for overwork. And when that fails, the treatment of the Israelites gets worse and worse until they're essentially treated as slaves. Well, this brings up some interesting points that I think we could consider here. Remember, we went from 70-something individuals to hundreds of thousands within a span of a few hundred years. I think we can all agree that um, that shows God's blessing, because remember, God had promised several times to make this a great nation, to make them numerous. But it's interesting, within the first three generations, everybody struggled with having kids. You know, every single generation, there's a woman who seems unable to conceive And it's like we're just barely getting the next male heir at first. But now we have the 12 tribes, and we're in Egypt, and now we are seeing God's work because they are multiplying greatly. We know that when when Israel eventually leaves Egypt on foot, when they walk out, there are 600,000 men, just the men, okay? So it's a large, a large increase, and I think we can see God's blessing there. But this tells us a couple other things about Israel. Israel has clearly not assimilated with the Egyptians. Why not? Religion. Religion. Certainly, they have different beliefs. But that's an interesting point, because... How much religion do they have at this moment? Do they have written law or any law? No. What have, they, what have they seen of God? God appeared a few times to their forefathers, appeared and spoke to them and made them promises. There's been some, some miraculous events. Certainly you could say the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah showed God's power on a grand scale. But certainly not as many as there will be in the future. So we have the promises made to their fathers. We have a promised land, because remember, before Joseph died, he prophesied. He said, God's going to take you out of Egypt, and I want to go with you. Remember how we ended on that last week? So we have that promise, and we have the promised land. They're living here. The promised land, that remember, that God told Abraham to walk through, is up here in Canaan. So they do have a separate religion. Why else, Lee? Well, they were monotheistic, so they only had one God. Yes. And I believe they were circumcising at that point. Mm-hmm. Yes, so they have, re- exactly, that'd be good. Monotheism, again, not the norm in the Near East at the time. We talked about henotheism, polytheism. 
it would have been very odd indeed and, and would have made you stand out to only serve one God. Plus the religious practice of circumcision. We have the example of Joseph. I thought that was an important point as well, that Joseph, who was you know, the guy who really helped make the move to Egypt possible, really, and at the end of his life, he's like, don't bury me here. I'm not staying here. Whatever else I may be, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm going with, you know. But it's an interesting point. Um, they're living in a foreign land. And by the way, Egypt was a choice foreign land. Egypt had two things in the ancient world that are hard to come by. Okay? They had water, a good source of water, and they had fertile lands for growing crops. Egypt, again, the breadbasket of that world. So, Israel did not integrate with the Egyptians. They stayed separate. They stayed separate. They are multiplying. And the Egyptians are getting a little uncomfortable with that situation because there's been a lot of multiplying and Pharaoh's getting worried. So they start mistreating them. And it progresses to the point where they're basically treated as slaves. You know, Pharaoh literally feels threatened. Which again, we've come a long way from just a few shepherds, you know, that I'll throw open my doors for. It's like now, if they join against someone else, against us, the Egyptians, we're in big trouble. All right. So, into this setting is born Moses. Moses is from the tribe of Levi. His mother hides him, as you all know the story. Pharaoh's daughter finds him and takes Moses as her son. And again, we see the hand of God here. We talked about God blessing people in unusual ways. Certainly, we see an unusual blessing here. But Moses will, God has a big role for Moses. When Moses is 40 years old, he visits his Hebrew brothers who are suffering under the oppression of the Egyptians. He sees a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian and kills the Egyptian. And later he finds that he's not been successful in trying to cover that up. And Pharaoh wants to kill him, not surprisingly. Because remember, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. It's an interesting place. Moses has, it's sort of like Joseph. Moses has one foot in the house of the Egyptians, and he has, but yet he's an Israelite. Puts him in a very unique position. But I think we will see um, he also, despite his upbringing had no problem identifying who he really was. I'm going to skip down to a question I've got here that I think you guys will find, I found certainly fascinating. Moses kills an Egyptian and he flees. Did he sin? Before you answer that, let's turn to Acts chapter 8. sort of painting a different picture here of Moses than maybe the, the, the Moses we normally think of. This is Stephen's speech right before he is stoned to death for his faithfulness. And I'm going in Acts 7.20. Chapter 7, verse 20. 
At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of, and of Isaac and Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Did Moses sin when he killed the Egyptian? Before I started digging into this a little deeper, I would have said, without question, did he sin? He did. He absolutely acted guilty when he fled. But when we read through Acts, it just it presents a little bit different picture of, of the man. It is, not, it is not that he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. So it's interesting that he was attempting, in his mind to do the work of God, and that they rejected him. So we come to that, we are forced to the conclusion that uh, his fellow Hebrews were either right in saying, well, that was crazy, we're, you know, you're a murderer, or they were wrong and they were rejecting someone who'd been sent by God. And it took longer for that to come to fruition. Later on, when God sends Moses back to the Israelites, and Moses said, they're not going to believe me. Moses had a little bit of history with that. I've tried to do things in your name before, and they didn't believe me. That's an interesting picture of Moses. Maybe not. Yes, question. Well, I think like a lot of us, we tend to want to, we think we know where God is going. Mm-hmm. We have our ideas of what's going to happen. Yes. And so it looks like Moses was doing it his own way, and then later when God finally mm-hmm. appointed Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, same way with uh, Abraham mm-hmm. and uh, Sarah mm-hmm. having the, the first child. Trying to jumpstart God's plan just a little bit, maybe before it was time. I don't. I think that's a great point. Um, it might have just been him hurrying God's plan. I don't have a definite answer for that, but I think that's very. That's a good thought. I just wanted to raise. If you guys had never thought about that. Um, the picture of Moses before the burning bush, you know, considering that God, you know, he was acting as God's hand is, is an interesting picture. Um, 
Oh. Did he have the authority? I mean, it's a good question. The thing is, is when, it, when he appears, when God speaks to him, mm -hmm. it's almost like that's when he gets like anointed. He's certainly given uh, miraculous signs, yeah. and, and, and a, we are, it is recorded that God right. told him to go and do things. I'll, I'll take care of this problem. Yes. So it just, like I said, it, it is, it's a good question. It is possible that Moses was rushing things or that he had acted rashly. Um, it's just, we're so familiar with some parts of the story of Moses, sometimes we forget the other parts. I thought you guys would think that was interesting because certainly Moses will become later all of those things that you know, he may have been trying to become earlier. Yes? Where is Midian? Midian? Midian is across the Sinai Peninsula from Egypt. It's over here. It's in, I think it's the modern-day corner of Jordan, right down here, it's close in the area of, like, Al-Aqba. Any Lawrence of Arabia fans in yes. here? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, so down here in this area, so you'd have to cross the Sinai Peninsula. Yeah, it's pretty good. pretty good stretch, and that's where Moses went after his... Uh, after he uh, attempted to take action on God's behalf, and it just didn't go. Well, he would certainly be fleeing Egypt, which was a prosperous land. You know, civilization had been established there a long time, to a less productive part of the world. It's arid. You know, there there wasn't. And again, he left what must have. I mean, he left Pharaoh's household. Um, so, this would have been a, a shock for him, certainly. So, Moses flees to the land of Midian. He dwells with a Midianite priest named Jethro. And he gives him, Jethro gives him his daughter, Zipporah, as a wife. And she gives both to Moses, birth to Moses' first son. So that's what's happening now. And remember, and this is not super surprising, the Pharaoh, when he finds out that Moses, ostensibly a member of his own household, has killed an Egyptian, he wants him dead. We, we know that. Um, also, remember that right now in Egypt, the topic of the Israelites is a big problem. Um, so, if it were found out that Moses had struck down an Egyptian to sort of try to defend an Israelite, also probably not, a great, uh, not great timing. So anyway, he flees. He goes to Midian, where I showed you guys. He lives there, um, lives there for a time. So during this time, the current Pharaoh dies. Remember, Pharaoh's a title, not a name. Israel cries out to God for deliverance. We're now in Exodus chapter 2. And God appears to Moses on the mountain of God, the burning bush. You guys know this story very, very well. God calls to Moses, and he identifies himself. Remember, we talked about progressive revelation. Remember how much... They don't know about God at this point. So God identifies himself, who he is. God states that he's heard the cry, cries of the Israelites. He wants to deliver them from the Egyptians and bring them into a wonderful promised land. God also says to Moses that I'm going to send you, Moses, to do this. And Moses... Tries to talk God out of it. He basically, sorry. Um, just a question on the phraseology here. It says an angel appeared to Moses in the form 
called the burning bush, and then it says God speaks out of the bush. Yes. I think that's safe to, I think that's safe to assume that it was a divine appearance, and that if it was an angel, certainly speaks for God, and if it was um, God in purpose, I think that that is shows that there was a divine appearance. As to in Acts, um, it says an angel appeared to him. Um, so, surprise. Supposing that Stephen is correct here, say it's an angel of God, it's God himself. I'm comfortable in saying it's a divine appearance. Um, if it's an angel, certainly it speaks for God. Uh, well, yes? Says, Mike's uh, translation says, the angel of the Lord, L-O, you know, the mm-hmm. Yes. So maybe yes. Christ? There's also, yeah. Yes, Lee, and that's a great point that I... Um, <laughs> that's a great point. We could be talking about some sort of... Um, Pre-incarnation of God, of Christ, excuse me. Um, so that gets that gets a little more complicated, but certainly Acts speaks of it as an angel, um, and yet when you read through it, so a divine appearance certainly, the word of God certainly. I think those points we can be confident in. Um, I can dig into that a little bit deeper. I might be able to find a better answer for you. I don't have one better than that at the moment, but uh, let me look into that and I'll get back with you next week. Yes. Could could be. I mm-hmm. Yes, it's a good question, and I like I said, I that's a good. It, it could be you know an angel, um, working as part of it. Um, but yeah, I'll dig into that a little bit deeper and see if I can find anything more clear. But certainly, when you read it, like I said, I, I would I would I would rest on the fact that it is a divine appearance, and that these are God's words. Yes, Carol. Yes. When he speaks, it's God. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and that's what, like I said, that's where I'd park on that because it speaks about an angel. But then when the when the words come, it's the voice of God. Carol, that's an excellent point, and I just like that's why I would be certain of that, um, and um, that that it is the voice of God speaking to Moses. And Moses is learning all these things firsthand, okay? They're being, you know, divinely revealed to him. And God's plan for freeing his people is now being put into action, okay? Moses is going to be the guy. And Moses, at first, has some real reservations about it. You know, you, as you guys know, it's, um, he, it's a famous part of the story that Moses basically said, I'm not eloquent, I'm not a... <laughs> I'm not a great public speaker, um, but God's like, no, you're the guy. Yes, Greg. This is just speculation, but I know that elsewhere in Scripture it says that no one can see mm-hmm. the look of God and survive. Yes. And so perhaps the, I mean, it, when you first look at this, you think, mm-hmm. what was the point of the angel? Mm-hmm. God's doing the talking, so why did we need an angel? Mm-hmm. Uh, God would have caused enough of a story. 
Moses to take notes. Yes. But perhaps since God can't reveal himself mm-hmm. for able to kill Moses, yes. that the angel does it and only God only manifests himself through his voice, which perhaps Moses could hear without being killed. True. Uh, so Be- that, would, mm-hmm. that would make some sense why yes. the angel it's a good point. We know from later in this in this very story that um, people ask God to you know show Himself, and God basically says, "No, you don't understand. If I show up and you see me, you're dead. You you know, I I literally put you in like you know, a crack in the rock, you know, and put my hand over you and pass by, and that's as close as you're going to get to seeing me." So certainly the full appearance of God in all his glory would have been more than the human form of Moses would be able to endure. So that's a good point, that perhaps that's where the intercession of the angel comes in, um, is that it's God's voice but not God's divine appearance. Um, We know that because God, later on, when asked to do that, says no. Um, And But Moses is learning these things. And he asks God, because remember, progressive revelation. Think about what we do or don't know at this point. Moses asks God's name, like his personal name. And you think, oh my goodness, we're this far into the story. They don't know God's actual name. Think about it. You know, think about all they've been through. Think about hundreds of years in the land of Egypt, and they have not assimilated. They haven't become Egyptians. They don't worship Egyptian gods. They didn't intermarry with the Egyptian people, at least, you know, not to any appreciable extent. They haven't given up the promises and stuff that were made. They don't even know God's name. Yes? Did they know Kelly was wrong at this point? Certainly, I think Moses' uh, reaction and the Pharaoh's reaction show that he broke several laws. I I, I don't think there's any problem saying that. Um, I just wanted to pose the part about Moses supposing he was sort of acting in God's behalf because it's an interesting question. And uh, it means that Moses had actively given thought to God and God's role and delivering the Israelites long before the burning bush. Steve? Oh, I was going to say, we already had the example of Cain. Yes, yes. And certainly, we go far enough back um, when Cain killed Abel, obviously sinful. So we have that precedent. Nope, not yet. I mean, like, there might have been an oral tradition leading back that far. But again, we are just. We are within. We are getting to the part in the story where the law is going to happen. That game changer changes everything. Yes, Greg. Yes. Yes. Certainly. Yes. Sort of a general revelation, yes. 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 There's there's no confusion. Like I said, Moses' reaction shows that you know clearly he this is a big deal. The Egyptians' reaction clearly this is a big deal. Um, so yes, I I think that due to general revelation and history, I don't think there's any confusion on the point that killing someone is wrong. It was more an exploration of, of Moses' thoughts and motives. Keep talking about killing somebody is wrong. Murder, excuse me. I've... If a person decides to murder somebody else, then it's wrong. If God tells you to murder somebody else, we're about ready to see the precedent of that. 
And remember, like, and, and remember when I said it seemed really odd to us that God would tell Abraham to sacrifice his son. And Abraham's like, okay, because he's operating on that direct revelation. And, again, and, and before, before Moses is done in our story here, we will have laws, not just a few laws, we will have an index of laws, a, a, a large, comprehensive set of laws, both, both the, um, like the Ten Commandments, there's all sorts of case law. There's laws about slaves. There's laws about um, diet, yeah, dietary laws. There's laws about the priests. So, so we will go from, from this state where Moses is getting divine revelation from a burning bush to a people that have an extensive set of written laws um, that serve many functions. But we will get there. Um, so... Moses asked God his name, and it's kind of amazing, really. It's really, uh, I don't know if he was uh, acting in a naive way or just curious, but he does ask him his name, and God answers him. Um, it says, I am who I am, or Yahweh. This is God's name. It's Yahweh, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that perfectly, but corresponds to four Hebrew consonants called the Tetragrammaton. All instances of I am in verse 14 of Exodus 3 represent forms of the Hebrew verb meaning to be. And some of you may already know this, but most modern translations of the Bible render Yahweh as the Lord in all caps with small capital letters. So when you see that in your Bible, think Yahweh, if that's helpful. So I am. I am who I am. That's God's name. It's kind of different when you think about it. God's personal name deals heavily with his self-existence. What does it mean to be self-existent? This is a good question. We're learning something about God right here. What does it mean to be self-existent? Eternal. Eternal. Yes. was not given life by anything else or someone else. Try and wrap your mind around that one. Uncreated. Yeah, exactly. Yes, Greg. Yes. If you, if you exist independent of any other being or thing, you, there, there is no power to which you must bow. And it's a hard thing for us to understand um, because we are... Um, as you said, created beings. Um, even the most optimistic modern physicists trace back, basically say that matter came from nowhere. That all the matter that makes up everything that we see in our universe basically more or less spontaneously appeared or they try and find some way to say it's always been there. But you can't say something has always been there in that way. So it's, it's, it's interesting. We're trying to wrap our minds around what God is. God is telling us something about him. He says, I am. I don't depend on anyone else. No one made me. I am always here and have always been here. That's who I am. And all things that exist, exist because I made them. All things that exist. 
this is this is why he's God. But I think it, it's worth just taking a moment to appreciate what that what. When Moses asks God what his name is, and God condescends to answer Moses, um, so for the first time in our story, Israel now knows what God's name is. It's a holy name, and it's, he is different from everything else that we can reference. There's nothing else that's completely self-existent. Nothing. So, now that we have that out of the way... Remember, Moses had once before tried to sort of enact God's will amongst his own people. And Moses doesn't think the Israelites will believe his story. We're now in Exodus 4. So Moses is given supernatural signs to perform by God. And as I mentioned before, Moses says, I'm not suited for the task. I'm slow of speech. In response, God sends... Moses' brother Aaron, to be a spokesperson for Moses to Israel. And God says, I will teach you what to do. (laughs) Moses is like, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not qualified, I'm not suited to this, and I don't know how this is going to go. And God says, I will tell you what to do. I will show you what needs to be done, and I will give you miraculous signs so that the people this time will believe you. Jeremy. Jeremy. Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, I understand the mm-hmm. question that you're asking, mm-hmm. but it just has to be simple. Because, first mm-hmm. of all, like Lee mm-hmm. was saying, he's absolutely acting mm-hmm. guilty. Mm-hmm. It says in the, yes. in the story he looks around to see if anyone's around. And yes. He kills him, tries mm-hmm. to hide him, then runs away. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And now, when God is actually telling him to do something, mm-hmm. as, as opposed to before when he's pre- maybe pretending God was telling him to do mm-hmm. something. Yeah. God might have rightly looked at Moses and said, Moses, 40 years ago, you were in such a hurry to take action. It says the Lord's anger burned. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, uh, God God at this point had clearly gotten tired of Moses' stalling, whining, whatever you want to call it. Moses was certainly overwhelmed. But again, now, now that he has this new divine revelation, now that he has been given miraculous signs to perform, Moses is less excited about it, it seems, or certainly has some trepidation in getting started. And the Bible doesn't really introduce the, the fact that Moses is doing this for God until after the fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, doesn't it seem like mm-hmm. had God impressed upon him that he needs to defend his fellow Israelite? I mean, that mm-hmm. didn't happen. That, certainly, that wasn't the way that this, the narrative was written. It no. was just later when he's like, well, I thought when I, mm-hmm. when I was you know, doing this for yes. God. Yes, yes. And I'm not going to question Stephen's interpretation of Moses' motives, since that's Holy Scripture as well. Um, but yes, it, it does tend to... I just wanted you guys to be processing that and think along those lines. However, Moses' response now, when God gives him the command to go and do this, he does seem very hesitant. And, and compared to his younger self, uh, not as excited to take action. So, but... All of Moses' protestations aside, he does go back to Egypt with his wife and sons. We said that uh, the men who had earlier sought to kill Moses are dead. And God tells Moses to use 
the miraculous signs that God had given Moses. <clears throat> and it says, all the Israelites believe Moses and worship God. That's Exodus 4, 29 through 31. So this time, they believe Moses. Moses goes back, he follows God's instruction, he does what God tells him to do, and 600,000 or so Israelites believe. They're convinced. They, they, they're, they're ready. They're like, okay. You know, probably success beyond what Moses could have imagined, but it works. Um, God also tells Moses that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. Wait a minute, God. You just, Moses, you know, was just been told by God, you know, perform these signs, go back, do this thing. The people that wanted you dead are now gone. Um, but I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Moses must have wondered about that. How is this going to work? Yeah, exactly. I, I think that um, if anything, Moses might have some, considered something along the lines of, I'm sure that God, whose name I just recently learned, but who is certainly all-powerful, can just sort of ease you know, the, the rulers of Egypt in with our plan, and we'll just leave with little trouble, and um, we'll have comp- accomplished all the things that uh, God wanted to do. But the truth is, is that God had far bigger plans to show his power, to show his divine hand, and also to use Pharaoh's hard heart to institute ideas about sacrifice and um, mercy that will become very important both later in the Old Testament and to New Testament Christians. These are themes that, again, remember, we're young in this story. Um, but again, God had more in mind than, as, than Moses may have considered. He said he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And we talked about um, <clears throat> how the Israelites are convinced. So now Moses, Moses visits Pharaoh. Yes. Certainly. And God was showing the rest of the Israelites he's nothing. Yes. Yes. And, and I mean, as we know, that the Israelites are just discovering God. Yes. Yes. And this is going to be a powerful message that yes. we're going to get through this yes. whole Exodus yes. circumstance. But having their God just say, I'm going to let, I'm going to make sure that Pharaoh uses his full might to try to stop mm-hmm. you, yes. stop me from mm-hmm. doing what I want to do, mm-hmm. and it's going to be fruit, fruitless. Yes, there's, absolutely. There's no confusion when Israel in the future will look back to the Exodus. Nobody will be able to say, Pharaoh is what lets you out of Egypt. No one's going to be able to say, well, things changed and circumstances were advantageous to leaving, and so we left. No. God is going to show His sovereignty by absolutely pitting one of the most powerful men in the world completely opposed to Israel leaving. And God will use that to show His power. 
So I, that's, that, is in, that is an important point. Um, so there was more than just the simple getting out of Egypt that's going on here. There's more that's going, that God is going to show about himself, and there's more things that will be learned. So Moses visits Pharaoh. I don't want to go into this too deeply. Um, Merrill, one of the sources of, that I'm using to put together this lecture, his name's Eugene Merrill. He's written several books on the Old Testament. There's a traditionally accepted date for the Exodus, um, and I've included a, uh, a small table here, which I took right from his book, and kind of walked you through his thoughts on which Pharaoh it might be. We don't have to insist upon this. Um, he believes it was part of the 18th dynasty of Egypt. And I've, I've given some ideas. You guys can read through that on your own time. I don't have to go through all that with you. But basically, think of it this way, that it was a real pharaoh, whoever it was. I make an argument there for who I think it would be. Amenhotep II is who um, <clears throat> Merrill believes it was, part of the 18th dynasty of Egypt. Like I said, King Tut of SNL fame was also part of the 18th dynasty of Egypt. So... I just want to highlight the fact of whatever Pharaoh this was, he was a real man. He was one of the most powerful men on earth. And God sent Moses back to do something that Moses knew would be much harder when God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. So, now we get to the plagues. Yes, question. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they talk about this one group of people that live, I think it was in the upper delta. Yes. The Nile. Mm-hmm. And they actually have Up here. all of these correspondence between the people, like everyday letters they wrote to each other. Okay. And they think they were thinking they helped build some of the mm-hmm. pyramids. Right. And when I heard that, I thought, I wonder if those might have been the Israelites. It's possible. Um, it's like there's this group of people at one point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Could be. I, the main, briefly, the main two arguments that Merrill makes for that being, Ramses is a name you often hear associated with the Exodus. Um, Merrill thinks it's someone else for two basic reasons. One, that we know Moses was in exile for a certain period of time, and we know that the Pharaoh at that time wanted him dead. And after a certain number of years, we know that Moses is told the people who want you dead are now dead. Okay? So we can look at the length of reign of some of these rulers and try and decide who had a reign long enough to keep Moses in, you know, in Midian for that amount of time. That's one quick argument for it. Okay? It would have to be someone with a lengthy reign. Um, the other argument is um, where the different capitals of Egypt were at the different times. And the argument was is that a pharaoh that had a more northerly capital would be closer to the land of Goshen, where we know that the Israelites were, because we do know that Moses had direct access to Pharaoh. I mean, he appeared before Pharaoh and spoke with him. So really briefly, that's, I mean, you could go layers deeper on that, and I don't know that there is good consensus, but that's one argument. Okay. And then it kind of went away, right? 
Mm-hmm. Maybe. Could it? Yes, and certainly possible. Um, much as I'd love to carry on to get to the plagues, um, I think we better stop there, guys, so I don't run you over, because once we get into the plagues, it's going to take us more than uh, three or four minutes to get through it. So we will stop there, and our goal will be to um, get to Sinai next week. Okay, Same notes next week. Also, I've had a couple people ask for a, um, a family tree, of early Israel, and they've told me that that would be helpful. Some Bibles have it in them, but for those of you that don't, I'll, um, in the next week or so, we'll try and get those printed off. You can just put it with the rest of your notes. If it's helpful for you to trace Abram down to like the 12 tribes, um, that might be a useful uh, take-home for you. So thank you guys for being here, and I look forward to the starting the plagues with you next week.